Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to mini episode 59 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? Before we crack on with our stories today, we have got a promo for you. And our promo this week is for Weekly Creep. Your hosts, Adam and Dulce, want to bring you some weekly spooky tales of ghosts, aliens, cryptids, true crime or just weird encounters. Weekly Creep's goal is to build a fan base of listeners who share their own personal stories while also learning something creepy along the way and finding them just as funny as they do so they're not just two losers laughing in each other's faces in a dark room. Would like to point out, I didn't write that bit. Uh, That's their own description, so I'm not calling them two losers in case anybody (laughs) thinks that I'm just being unnecessarily mean. Would also like to say that Weekly Creep have helped me out with technical issues numerous times, so they are just very wonderful kind and generous people and uh, listen to their promo and if you like them go and like and subscribe welcome Welcome, creeps creeps. i'm adam and i'm dulce from weekly creep and we like to tell stories about true crime the supernatural aliens and everything in between each week we surprise each other with a new topic and our listeners get to learn about it right along with us We like to have a laid-back atmosphere, so it's more like you're just hanging out with friends. Weird friends, who like talking about true crime, the supernatural, and everything in between. Some people like to listen to us, and maybe you will too. We release new episodes every Friday, and a bonus titillating tales of true terror on the first of every month. Tune in this Friday for a brand new episode. So that was Weekly Creep. And I have four spooky listener stories for you today. Uh oh. And just for everybody's peace of mind, the last story today comes from the 22nd of May 2020. Are you ready? Nope. And story number one comes from Anonymous. The first experience I can remember is being around six at my nan's house. I used to play in the annex all the time alone. And that was when I first heard the voices. The first voice I heard was a deep, resounding growl calling my name. I, for some reason, as the unassuming child I was, took it to be my father. Who never, and never has, spoken like this. Weird, I know, but I go down to him and ask him if he wants me. And he says no and asks why. I told him I thought I heard him call me and he shook his head before returning to his conversation. The second time it was a female voice, telling me, Come here, come here. I thought this was my cousin, but she was an hour away. 
I started to walk to where the voice was, but then my nan walked in and asked me to go and do something for her. Who knows what would have happened if she hadn't. Again, I thought no more of the incident and went on with my life. Years went by with no activity, and then I got to about 12 or 13, when I went into a local town to do some shopping with my mother and my sister. We went into this weird old antique type charity shop, nothing really noticeable or strange, except for when I walked into the corner of the shop. A chill ran over me and it felt like something was pressing against my chest. A feeling of I have to leave washed over me and I turned to my mum and said I wanted to go. I later looked into the place on my phone and it turns out it was one of many places that used to be a gallows for witch executions. Eerie or what? I moved to a rural area, quite far from most places. All was well and quiet for a fair while. Of course, there was the occasional footstep on the landing, but nothing to be taken note of. This all changed in the fourth year of living there. It started small at first. Little things you'd say are weird but not scary, like a post-it note being moved from one wall to another. Then something would go missing and reappear randomly, like my TV remote. I dropped it off the side of my bed while watching TV with my partner. He told me to chill out and that it was probably around somewhere. So I look in every nook and cranny, lo and behold, it's underneath the bean bag on the other side of the room. One night I turn over while trying to sleep, and at the side of my bed there stands a woman in a floral dress, leaning over me. I widen my eyes in fear and she suddenly disappears with the blink of an eye. Lost for an explanation and words, I closed my eyes and desperately tried to sleep. She didn't reappear for about a week or so, within which time a vase flew off my cabinet for no explainable reason, towels fell off their hook while I was in the shower, and the one that freaked me out the most? Sitting on my bed on my phone when suddenly I heard the tinkle of music that you would hear in a jack-in-the-box playing just beside my ear. I ran out of my room to ask who was playing it, and nobody was. Of course, I was very freaked out by this. Hearing running across the landing was a regular occurrence, as was electrical disturbance. My speaker started randomly skipping songs and then flew off the cabinet when I left the room. It was to such an extent that I got used to these experiences. They became commonplace and didn't scare me so much because they didn't harm me. This was until a night not that long ago when I was on a video call to someone. Behind me I saw something dart past the camera and my wardrobe door began to open and close ever so slightly. I was terrified to turn around and I tried to act like nothing was wrong and carry on talking to my friend all the while I was tearing up in fear. What the hell was I supposed to do? The night after was possibly one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. I was on a video call to the same friend and in the background behind me, I noticed a woman's face, contorted into a menacing grin. She had dark blonde hair in pigtails on the sides of her head, and you guessed it, a floral dress. I bit back tears and tried to act natural, pulling my duvet over my head. My friend then looked confused, and said, 
Are you using some sort of filter? I replied that I wasn't and I thought no more of it. Terrified, I asked them not to hang up until I've gone to sleep, so they did what I asked. Seeing as I was very disturbed and said friend knew about the experiences, the next morning we were chatting so I told him about the woman with the smile and he said that he saw something but he didn't want to freak me out by saying it. And what he said next was terrifying. He told me that he saw a woman's face on my end when we called. Bulging eyes and you guessed it, a massive menacing grin. He said that he thought it was me but it didn't look like me and he was so scared when telling me that he teared up out of fear. And that's when it dawned on me that he saw it when he asked if I was using some sort of filter. I asked him this and he verified that that was what he meant. It wasn't exactly a fun revelation. Today I told whatever it was to leave. Whether it has or not is something I'll know when I turn the lights out tonight. So wish me luck. So we've got some usual poltergeist activity and then we've got some really freaky stuff going on like the musical jack in the box in the ear hole no thank you and the lady's face appearing on the video call and being seen by the recipient and yourself i know no that is literally dan's worst nightmare having any sort of technological contact with a spirit and you could totally see that happening in the modern world that somebody would go, oh, have you got one of those filters on that pick up faces? And you, you've you seen like we've all seen loads of videos where somebody has that filter on the dog filter and it picks up like a corner of the room because it maps out the shape of a face naturally in the environment. Imagine being on a call and somebody saying to you, wow, have you got a filter on? There's that scary woman in the background. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's very host like I don't like it. You know the movie? Yes. Yeah. If this happens on my work calls tomorrow, I'm going to hold you responsible. Me personally? Yeah, because you said, oh, I could just imagine that happening. So you've encouraged it. You've talked it, told it into existence. Well, I'm sorry. If you've got a work call tomorrow and I and you just thunder down the stairs and out the door, at least I'll know why. I'll know what's happened. <laughs> I have been listening to, and I've said this a million times, but I've been listening to the Battersea Poltergeist, right? And in it, they talk a lot about poltergeists and what a poltergeist supposedly is and what it does. And they had like two experts on and one of them was talking about uh, how really it's about attention seeking, attention seeking behaviour and that's why you get noises and that kind of thing. And that's where the missing objects come into it, that it's it's trying to get your attention so it's making life slightly difficult so that you'll notice it. And that freaks me out a bit. Or Anonymous has a portal down the side of a bed and when she dropped it, it went through the portal and got spat out the other side of the room. Sometimes I do imagine those things when there's disappearing and reappearing objects. People talk that as like a, talk about that as like a separate phenomenon that you have those, you know, something, you'll drop something upstairs and then it appears, you know, under your pillow, which is quite common in poltergeist cases. And uh, yeah, either it's either a portal like the game or an attention seeking ghost. And either way, I'm not here for it because it's very inconvenient. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And story number two comes from Juliet. In 1983, I was a graphic designer in Los Angeles. I worked creating graphics on artboards, designing labels, court exhibits, and point-of-purchase displays. I also had a crazy idea to create a time management notebook system before laptops and cell phones blew up the simple paper and pen. These activities meant that I would drive into Hollywood to Hillside Graphics at 6464 Sunset Boulevard to pick up my type order. That meant I picked up word graphics printed out on photographic paper in the font and size that I ordered. When I took it to my studio space, I back-coated it in wax and applied the words to the artboard, using an X-Acto blade. I was pretty good at this, and totally self-taught. But I did spend some time recording type with size adjustments and font changes, which meant that on a given project I could spend a lot of time going back and forth to hillside graphics. I would park on Wilcox Street, just off Sunset Boulevard, to avoid paying for parking, and walk to Hillside's office. There were homes on that street, the old Hollywood bungalows that cost a fortune today. These homes were once the residences of working people of Hollywood, when the entertainment industry was the employer. But in the 80s, these homes were in disarray. They were shabby and in need of paint and the neighbourhood had fallen on hard times. There was an uptick of violent crime, and a number of abandoned homes in these Hollywood streets. One of those homes was right at the back of 6464 Sunset on Wilcox. It was white, and in need of some repair. The yard was overgrown and there was a brick back step that led into the house, with straggly ivy growing up the side of the back door. The main window had an eyelet curtain that had a tear, and some mornings I saw it flutter, as though someone had just let go of the curtain. By that window there was a black gash on the paint, where a flame had quickly licked the window casement, but failed to ignite the outside lintel. There had been a fire, but it had been stopped before real damage took the house. I'd seen homeless people leave the house early one morning, dishevelled, carrying bags, leaving from that side of the house. It was an uncomfortable building to me, As I came and went to the typesetters, I found myself avoiding the house, parking further down the street, even though there was a parking space in front of the house. My discomfort when near the house gravitated from sadness to thoughts of violence. After a while, I came up with the notion that something violent had happened there. Why else would I be so uncomfortable with an empty house? One morning, I arrived early to see the local fire station actively dousing the grounds and building with a milky substance. 
It was fire retardant. Squatters had again started a fire to cook a meal in the house, and had set a few other things on fire too. That's when the boards went up on the doors and the windows, and no trespassing signs were added. The fire department was trying to discourage late-night visitor sleepovers, but they were only partially successful, and a few people continued to use the house. Today I wondered if squatters would have continued to do that if they had known what happened there. But at that time I was ignorant of the story. Several months went by. I was at a slow point for type and design and didn't go to Sunset Boulevard. I'd been house hunting and we had found a house to buy in Pasadena. However, a court job presented itself for an exhibit. So I was again going back to Hillside Graphics. It was a Monday... I parked down the street, only this time it was because there were again firemen on the property. I thought that this time I could ask about the house. They were again using fire retardant and posting more signs. I walked up to the captain and asked him about the property. I learned that the house was slated for destruction, but that it would be at least a year since the city was very behind in demolitions and the heirs of the property were not capable of taking care of the house. Then he mentioned that this house had been the scene of a violent murder of the elderly female owner. The captain stated that it was surmised that the owner of the house allowed a homeless man into her home who killed her and set fire to her in the back bedroom, the room where the curtain was torn. There had been several similar murders and the LAPD thought that there was a serial killer in Hollywood murdering elderly women living alone in this neighbourhood. It had been a violent assault and the killer had set fire to the house to destroy the evidence. The victim was a woman of 70 plus years, someone known to help people down on their luck. I also learned that the victim had been a big player in Hollywood, and was somehow related to an old star, ex-first wife, maybe ex-girlfriend, but after the divorce separation she remained in the same house for over 50 years. She grew old there as Hollywood changed, and the neighbourhood became more transient. On a Wednesday morning, I awoke and immediately recounted to my partner about a dream I had had. The woman in the house was speaking to me. She was dressed up in some 1940s outfit with padded shoulders and snappy heels, sitting on an overstuffed hunter green couch from the 1940s with huge, fat, curved, upholstered arms. She was admonishing me with her arm raised. Find out about me! Look me up in the library quick because they're destroying all the evidence. And then as a last comment, before I was completely awake, the dream figure said, Eddie did it. Go to the authorities and tell them. I was convinced that this was more than a dream. I'd never been visited by a victim of homicide, let alone given some instructions. I went to my alma mater college library and I read the news articles that sanitised the murder. The local librarian that helped me was from Haiti, and I recounted why I was looking. She was intrigued and told me that these things happen in her country, and that I should go to the authorities. But I still didn't understand or even have a remote clue as to why I was told that they were destroying all of the evidence. On Friday, I had to return to get my type, so I drove down Sunset. I didn't turn to the side street of Wilcox. I parked on the boulevard. I was filled with trepidation and curiosity. Should I look at the house? No, forget it. 
but I couldn't do it. I went to the front of the house on North Hudson, but there was no house. What remained of the house after being bulldozed were three neat piles of broken beams, roofing paper, floorboards, plaster, glass, river rock and tiles. The house was gone. At the top of the nearest debris pile, protruding from the side, was an overstuffed arm and seat of a hunter green 1940s couch. I ran to the typesetter's office. When was that house torn down? Early Wednesday morning, they answered. Yes, they truly had been destroying all the evidence. I will admit, when I first read this story, I thought, have you mixed this up with a true crime podcast? Because you would be surprised how often that happens, that people, either on the supergroup or in general, are are kind of in a number of different groups and say the wrong thing in the wrong group. But this story, like, I loved it so much. I just loved it. And you know what? If I was that old woman who had lived my whole life in that house and my whole life in that part of Hollywood and then I was brutally murdered, I'd be wanting justice as well. I'd be wanting some sort of vengeance. So any person that I thought had a connection to the house, I'd be getting in their dreams. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah, and she obviously very clearly, Juliet did have a link to the house. Because she'd obviously paid a lot of attention to it every time she went to Hillside Graphics. So I wonder if, like, the old lady was watching from the house. And then was like, right, I've got your number. I'm going to visit you in the dreams. There is, There are some people who believe that the people who have passed visit in your dreams because it's easier. Because you can, you know, people don't fight their dreams. Whereas if that old lady was trying to send signs like a poltergeist would... You know, how how would Juliet ever interpret them or even take notice of them? So there, you know, there are people that believe that your dreams are a vessel by which the dead communicate, which I find very alarming, to to be really frank. I guess it makes sense because your conscience isn't working in the same way as it is when you're awake. So maybe you're more susceptible to visitations. Do you believe that people visit you in your dreams like that? Um, I believe that dreams, some dreams have value. Okay. So not every dream means something, but I do think that dreams can be used to tell you tell tell us something. I feel like they're, they're like a form of unlocked intuition. I would sincerely hope that not every dream means something because my God, I have the weirdest fucking dreams. So if they do mean something, I would be very disturbed and I don't want to know what those dreams mean. But every so often I have a dream visitation and they always feel different. I know I say that regularly. I know people are probably sick of hearing me say that, but they really do. Like somebody who's passed in my life will visit me in my dream and I'll wake up and it will feel physically different than a normal dream. It'll even feel different than a nightmare. It's a very strange feeling. And I'm sure lots of people listening are like, I know exactly that feeling you're talking about. But it is a feeling that you wake up with and you go, oh, that felt weird. That was that was not that was not a nice feeling. And it's not necessarily scary. It's just a weird feeling. So maybe that's what Juliet experienced. And also, like I said, If I can haunt people in their dreams, I'm fucking doing it when I die. And story number three comes from Philip. I'd classify myself as a curious sceptic. Apart from my story, I haven't experienced anything that would make me believe totally in the paranormal. In the flat I live in in London, my flatmate and friend have both seen and heard a little boy laughing. But I've yet to see anything, so maybe I'll leave that for a future episode. So my story 
not entirely sure what category of paranormal to place this in, so maybe I'll just tell it and let you decide after. I live and work in London, but I'm as northern as they come. I was born and raised in Carlisle, Cumbria, a city at the top of the Lake District bordering Scotland. My parents' older brother and older sister moved into my childhood home, the house they still live in, just before I was born in 1984. It's the last house on a row of Victorian terraces. A dining room, or the good room as my mam calls it, a lounge, a kitchen on the ground floor, three bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs. It's your usual Victorian terrace, narrow in width but stretching far back. High ceilings, creaky floors, radiators in every room to moderate the drafts. You get the picture. I must have been about four or five. I have very few memories before this. Myself and my brother used to have bunk beds. Him on the bottom and me on the top. My brother was in his early teens and my sister was around eight. I woke up quite naturally in the middle of the night. The house was quiet. The only noise was the sound of my brother's deep sleep and the only light was that of the landing light creeping around the doorframe. The dark never worried me or my siblings when we were little, but my parents always left the main light on outside of all the rooms when we were younger, just in case. I wriggled out of bed, climbed down the ladder and opened my bedroom door. I came out of my room onto a fully lit landing and turned left to go down to my parents' room. I went into their room where they were both fully asleep, hopped up to their bed and wriggled my way up to sit between them on the pillows, at the head of the bed, my parents asleep either side of me. I remember being fully awake, not tired, but also having no sense of fear or worry. I just sat with my back against the headboard, looking towards the door, which I pulled partly closed, maybe two feet of space between the door and the frame, waiting for tiredness to come and to fall asleep. I must have been sat there for only a short while when I noticed the light around the door getting brighter and whiter. It was much different to the natural yellowish tint of the 80s bulb that hung above the stairs. I remember at the time acknowledging the oddness of it. I sat transfixed as the brightness around the door grew in whiteness but didn't stretch further into the room or illuminate it. At this point... The door started to slowly open. I acknowledged the door being pushed fully open before I even noticed what was opening it. In the door frame there was something. A shape. A glowing white light that didn't touch the floor. It stayed motionless in the doorway, looking back at me. It was not person-shaped, nor did it have any discernible features just a long, narrow ellipsis of white light. Oddly, I wasn't scared. I remember studying what I was looking at for clues as to what it was. It was only after a few moments of being face to face with whatever this was that I felt a little stab of fear. Looking past the shape and down the hallway to my sister's room at the back of the house, I saw another light shape entering her room and disappearing. It was only then that fear hit me. What was this thing? Why were there two of them and why had one just gone into my sister's room but this one was just there watching me? Before I could even decide what to do the shape started backing out the doorway bringing the door closed with it leaving it partially closed as I had left it. 
the light dimming from the bright light to the normal yellow. The whole moment felt like minutes but probably passed in seconds. Within moments of the door closing, I fell asleep as if nothing was out of the ordinary. To this day, I section this as a memory and not a remembered dream. The clarity to which I can recall every detail of what happened is too clear. The changes of emotions were too real. Were I talented enough, I could paint this exact scene in detail. As we all grew older, small anecdotes of things happening around the house were passed between us. A feeling of a presence in a room felt by my mam, an object sure to be left in one place by my sister turning up later somewhere else, that kind of thing. However, in recent years, in a conversation with my mam, something interesting came to light. We were talking about dreams and how the brain works. My mam shared a story with me, a repeat dream that she gets very often. She first had this dream when she was younger, when she was maybe five or six. In this dream, she remembers waking up, exiting her old room, looking down the stairs and seeing something bright leaving the house. She ran down the stairs to follow it and leaves the house from the front door. She stood in the front garden and saw a bright shape, a long, oval, featureless shape of light leaving down the hill. As she watched to see where this shape was going, she saw two more coming from adjoining streets to meet this one. They then descended the hill to a park at the bottom where what she describes a large object all brightly lit waited for them. The bright lights boarded the object but at this point the dream memory cuts off usually where she wakes up and wonders what the light was in her home. What's even more bizarre is that she, like me, said that Were I talented enough, I could paint this exact scene to the detail. I told my mam my story. She listened with interest, but showed no surprise or concern. When I finished, she just sighed and said, Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Before closing the conversation. So what did I see? I've gone my entire life with this moment clearly in my head as I grew up and became familiar with elements of the paranormal. I'd classified this as my first and only ghost experience. But now, after hearing what my mam said, I'm not so sure. Who's to say it wasn't something else? Something even more otherworldly than a ghost? First of all, can I just say that Philip got off to the right start because he referred to himself as a curious sceptic and I heard furious sceptic and I was like, if they were going to label yourself something, labelling yourself a furious sceptic is a great idea. Imagine being like, yeah, yeah, um, no, I don't believe in ghosts necessarily because I'm a furious sceptic. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I also feel like it's an indie band name as well. These are, This isn't ghosts, is it? This story, like... I don't even know. I don't even know where to start because every part of me wants to say ghosts. Okay, I want to say something nice about this story, but this is disturbing. I feel like it's disturbing to you because it sounds to me like it's aliens. Is that what you're thinking? I don't really know, but because it, it's not right. So I believe aliens exist, right? But but not potentially in the way we think about them. And this is so like because usually when we get alien stories, you get the kind of either lights in the sky. 
or in the more famous alien cases, you have uh, Christopher Walken having a dance <laughs> or you get, you know, grey beings, limmy, big eyes, that kind of thing. But this is just light. It's just light. There's no, I saw a being that was really scary. He doesn't, he doesn't report feeling scared until later when, when he saw this second light going into his sister's bedroom and then his mum had the same experience. Yeah, see, now I've been thinking about this quite furiously and I figure that this has to be aliens and I'm wondering whether the white light is like a vessel to view. So I guess if you think about how we study animals and why we study animals, because we're curious, we don't understand them and we also like them, maybe we're studied in the same way. And I guess if you're doing a scientific study, you study a family, don't you? So all of Attenborough's, all of Attenborough's things are about packs or about communities, communities and stuff like that. Particularly the one that's called communities, isn't it? Oh, is there one that's called communities? <laughs> yeah, pretty sure oh. there is. <laughs> but so it would make sense that they'd come back and they'd observe generations of the same family to see how they interact and what changes and how traits follow. And this is what this sounds like to me. And it's like. If he, if Philip had been asleep, the light probably would have gone into his room, but the light didn't because it wasn't expecting to see him awake and it went into his sister's room because his sister was asleep. It's very odd and it does make me wonder, like now that you say that, do alien life forms have like documentaries about us where it's like David Attenborough narration, Cumbria, (laughs) the mother is asleep. (laughs) You know, how weird is that as a thought? No doubt. And maybe those vessels that are there are there all the time, but you only notice them at night because it's dark and they have to light it up during the day. You don't need lights, do you? And the, in his mother's dream, she said there was loads of them coming from the community. There were like three or four of them coming down the hill. So they've obviously come from other houses in the same village. This is awful. I hate this so much. Maybe it's like the alien equivalent of Jurassic Park. And they're just all in those little orbs. You know, the ones, the gyrospheres in Jurassic World. And they're just going around the community observing. (laughs) Maybe Earth is like a big theme park for them. A big observational park where they go on holidays, like centre parks. Yeah, why not? And they go on holidays and observe us. Oh my God. I hate this even more. I hate all of this. If we get the men in black coming on our door tonight because we've solved this. I'm blaming you. I'm going to be like, I only went, I only went along with him because really it was insane. So take him, leave me. I'll never breathe a word of it again. Apart from that one episode that we put out to the public, but we're sorry. (laughs) And story number four comes from Liv. I was raised in the south of England in a small town called Grinstead in West Sussex. Our town is odd. It always has been and always will. If you Google it now, you can find articles referring to it as the Twin Peaks of England and attributing all of its strangeness to myriad reasons. Some people say it's because it was built on ancient ley lines or meridian lines or perhaps the mixing of many different religions, even including Scientologists. It's home to the World Scientology Centre or its links to pagan rituals and customs. Any way you look at it, Where I grew up was strange, fascinating, and most importantly to this story, rural. Rural, of course, means beautiful and picturesque, but as kids, it meant boring, 
long days with nothing to do in the summer holidays or after school than knock about in the woods with my friends. It was on one of those particular days after school in around 2008 or 2009 when me and my group of four closest friends went into the woods behind a friend who we'll call Anna's house. We walked about 10 minutes into the woods, talking and laughing, all feeling fine and enjoying our walk, when we reached a clearing that we'd messed about in before. The clearing opened out onto the steep top of a large pit, which was surrounded by dense woods. The bottom of the pit was mainly all enclosed, apart from one small exit, which was obstructed by a large thicket of sharp brambles, which were tricky, but not impossible to get through. To get down into the pit, we used a few slightly risky tree roots growing out of the dirty, sandy walls. It was a steep descent, so we had to take it slow, but we all managed to get down there without a hitch, and subsequently started exploring the base of the pit. Anna had by this point crossed the ravine, and called us all over as she had noticed a little makeshift rope ladder leading up and out of the other side of the pit and into the woods. Being young and curious, my friend began climbing the ladder, with the rest of us following suit. I'd hung back, and was right at the tail end of the group, so I wasn't even on the ladder by the time my first friend reached the top of it. I heard her muffled, What the hell? as she reached the top. Before I knew what was happening, something heavy and hard hit the back of my head. I picked the thing off the floor after a moment of confusion, and turned it over in my hand, before realising what it was and throwing it to the ground in disgust, just as my friend had done when she found it. It was the small skull of an animal, and I'm still not sure what kind. Curiosity peaked, I climbed up to join the rest of my friends, while nursing my sore head. At the top of the other side of the pit, heavily shrouded in trees, was an even tinier clearing, a few feet by a few feet at most. At the centre of it was the remains of a small fire, and what I can only describe as some small sculptures made from twigs bound together by twine. The sculptures depicted all kinds of strange symbols and signs. Imagine the wooden things in Blair Witch and you're almost there. And they covered the clearing, including being nailed to the surrounding trees and scattered on the floor. There were also similar symbols carved into the trees which looked like they'd been there a really long time. The space looked like it had been used recently and I had the eerie feeling that we just narrowly missed the people who had previously occupied it. Bear in mind that in this time, when we'd been slowly checking out the clearing, barely a word had passed between my friends and I. In what felt like a unanimous move, we all began to descend the ladder again, keen to get back down and away from the decidedly creepy things we had just seen. Once we'd reached the bottom again, we all stood for a moment, beginning to debate what we had just seen. Before we had much chance to say anything, we heard what I can only describe as three consecutive, loud, guttural growls. The last one sounded so angry and so close to us, that at the same moment we all scattered. Not a word passed between us and we began to scrabble every which way to get out from the pit. A few of my friends took off the same way we'd come down, legging it as fast as they could up the steep dirt wall. 
Me and I think one other girl panicked and ran as fast as we could through the bramble thicket, cutting ourselves, but so desperate to just be anywhere but there. Petrified, we ran full throttle through the thick woods until we reached the safety of Anna's house. The rest of that day is a blur. I believe we talked about what we had heard and all unanimously agreed that there had been three loud and distinctly animalistic growls. We agreed that they didn't sound human, and none of us could properly replicate the sound. We couldn't then, and I still can't to this day, think of a reason for what we heard. I'm confident it wasn't any other kids fooling with us as the growls sounded so close we'd surely have seen the person responsible. I tried my best to forget what we had heard and never had another experience like it in those woods. To this day, I'm still not sure what I'd attribute it to. Unlike Dan and Emma, I'm not convinced of the existence of cryptids of any kind, and to me that's not what this experience felt like. I'm not sure I felt that way at the time, though, or whether my view has been coloured by the creepy history I've learnt over the years of my hometown's involvement in rituals and weird happenings. I truly don't know what to make of it, and would love to know what you both think, as the only conclusion I can successfully come to is that the place at that time, for whatever reason, was just somewhere that we were not supposed to be. I know Grins did. Is it really that weird? I don't know. I only know it because it's the end of the Blue Rail Railway and growing up with train geeks, I've been on it many times and it's the final stop on the railway, on the Steam Preservation Railway. In my head, I, I, I imagine it as being like one of those places where when you drive into it, everyone stops and stares. Everyone knows you're an outsider. Nobody smiles. You go to a shop and they pull down the shutters. You know that kind of place? Like you'd see in like old American films. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit too big to be like that. Oh, well, I'm just going to keep that image in my head. Okay, yeah, that's probably good. Um, I I believe in cryptids, but I don't think this is one. That was a beautiful song. I'm with you. I'm with you, Liv. This is not a cryptid. This is... In the words of Zach Bagans, demonic. I don't know if it is demonic or if it's, you know, I think there's probably lots of shit like this that happens in the woods that people are unaware of. There's lots of people who practice versions of witchcraft and magic that maybe aren't very mainstream and they probably do it in private places. Either that or it's Blair Witchy shit because, you know, that that's scary. But either way, if I was in your position and I was fanning around in the woods with my friends and came across something like that I would immediately go Blair Witch freak out and be convinced that one of us was going to die and let me tell you it would not be me I'd also be questioning my friends as to why they felt it necessary to launch an animal skull at my head very annoying yeah yeah but I I couldn't handle that clearing I'd be out there I'd probably fall back down the place that they just climbed up from the ladder in an attempt to get away from it but I just figure you know you're right there's different things going on in the woods that we don't know some of it He's just regular witchcraft. Some of it is black magic and some of it is people doing stuff they don't really understand. And that's the stuff that worries me. Oh, really? Is that that the stuff, the stuff people who do things like thinking it's cool or kind of trying to be, trying to trying to put off a persona or whatever and not really realising what they're doing? We've all seen that movie, which I can't remember the name of it. 
where they where they curse there's that little girl and she curses them and then the creature comes that's a terrible description i can't remember what it's called what film are you talking about you know she gets really angry with her like her mom and then she like conjures a witch or something to kill her and then like out of anger and then she it wasn't a particularly good film but we definitely watched it and we reviewed it oh i have no i literally have no recollection it must have been really bad like zero recollection if anybody does know please answers on a postcard that'd be great but that's what i mean angry children summon demons if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on com. You can send in your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.